Welcome to the listener's commentary on the New Testament. Your guide is pastor and theologian Dr. John Whitaker, and the heart behind these studies is to help you better understand the text of Scripture so you can more fully live it out. It's all about helping you learn and live the Bible. Here is the book of 1 Thessalonians. All right, welcome to the listener's commentary. I'm Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians. In this session, we're going to look at the backstory to that letter. And the reality is the letters to the Thessalonians are two small little letters in the New Testament that often get overlooked. And that's unfortunate. There's a lot of really great value, particularly here in 1 Thessalonians. There's some things for us to really explore and wrestle with and think through as followers of Jesus, as people maybe who are in ministry and leaders for Jesus. And so excited to be able to jump into this, walk through these letters together with you and think through what Paul is actually saying originally to the church in the Thessalonians and now today to us as well. Here in this session, I want to just talk about the background so we understand the original context and the original audience for the letter. It's really important that we remember the New Testament documents were originally written to other people, not us. We're not the original audience. And even though they weren't written to us, they are still written for us. And so who were they originally written to? Well, Paul wrote First and Second Thessalonians to a brand new church in the city of Thessalonica, which uh, is located in northern Greece. We'll talk a little bit more about the city here in a second. But these two letters are quite possibly the earliest letters of Paul we have. The uh, debate around that really concerns the date of Galatians. And if you listen to the my commentary on Paul's letter to the Galatians, you'll know that I, I think Paul wrote Galatians after uh, the Jerusalem conference around AD 50. So I would put First and Second Thessalonians before the letter to the Galatians. Not all scholars do that, uh, but that's the way I understand the chronology of Paul's letters. And so for me, First and Second Thessalonians are the, the earliest two letters of Paul we have in the New Testament. Uh, more of the story behind when they were written in a moment, but they were probably written around late 51 or early 52 during Paul's second missionary journey. Uh, more on that here in just a second. But let's talk about the city of Thessalonica. So we understand the city Paul wrote these two before we talk about the church and the reasons Paul wrote them. The city of Thessalonica is in northern Greece in the region of Macedonia. And Thessalonica was the largest and most important city in Macedonia. It was founded in the year 315 BC by Cassander, a former general of Alexander the Great. And then in the course of history, in 167 BC, when the Romans took over the, the region, the Romans divided Macedonia into four separate districts, and they made Thessalonica the capital of the second district. Well, in uh, just a decade and a half later, in 142 BC, Macedonia was actually made into one Roman province, and Thessalonica was the seat of the provincial government for the Romans. And so Thessalonica is this significant city. It's the capital city of the region. Um, it sat at an intersection of two major highways, uh, the major highway, the Via Ignatia, that went uh, east-west all the way to Rome, and then another major highway that went north out of Thessalonica into the northern regions. And so for that reason, 
Thessalonica was really at a crossroads of two major highways, the two most important highways through the region. In addition to that, Thessalonica had a natural harbor, the best natural harbor in the entire Aegean region. And so as a result, Thessalonica became a very large and prosperous city. So it's it's uh, got a natural harbor. It's at the intersection of major highways. It's the seat of provincial government, uh, government, and it became a very large and influential city. In fact, in the year 42 BC, because of Thess- uh, Thessalonica's support for the forces of Octavian and Antony in the Roman Civil War, and when Octavian and Antony were victorious in that civil war, they became to honor the city for their support, gave Thessalonica the status of a free city, which meant it ruled itself. Uh, It had a local citizens' assembly, um, and its officials were called polytarchs, which just means city rulers. In fact, that used to be common that in the book of Acts, when Paul or when Luke mentions the polytarchs in Thessalonica, clearly Luke didn't know you know, anything. He wasn't a first century, first-hand observer. This was the way critics kind of discounted the book of Acts. He just made up a name for city rulers. He just combined the word city, polis, and ruler, arche, into one title, city ruler, polytarch. Uh, And yet, in the course of history, we now have discovered, uh, I think, well over 28, maybe over 30 inscriptions that use the word polytarch to describe the actual title for the city rulers in Thessalonica and in just a couple other cities around them. So it actually is the exact opposite. Luke is being very precise and very specific for what the name of the city rulers were in Thessalonica. So when Luke writes Acts, he actually knows what's going on and how they titled them. And so here's Thessalonica, this large, prosperous capital city that also has the special designation of being a free city. So they have the freedom of self-rule. They've got a local citizens assembly. They've got polytarchs as their rule, uh, as their rulers. It's an important, impressive city in northern Greece. Not only that, religiously, Thessalonica was a, as virtually all Greek and Roman cities were in the first century, it was an incredibly pluralistic city with multiple religions, multiple different sort of cults and uh, of various kinds that worshiped the traditional Greek and Roman gods, right? Zeus and uh, Mars and right whatever they go by their Roman name or their Greek name that worship those traditional gods of the, the uh, Greek and Roman pantheon. It had uh, various mystery religions that were impressive and important there as well. Dionysus and Kabiris. Kabiris was actually the patron god of the city. Um, and so, you know, they had a mystery cult to Kabiris and various other mystery religions as well. They actually had a very well-established emperor cult, which sounds odd to our ears today, but this was quite common in various places throughout the Roman Emperor, where there would be a temple in honor of not only the city, uh, the god Roma, the city of Rome, but also a temple in honor of the emperor himself, and the emperor would be worshipped there, and worshipped, it was a way really of establishing your loyalty to the the emperor and to his realm, the empire, demonstrating your allegiance to him by emperor worship, and so incense would be burnt in his honor, and so Thessalonica actually had a very well-established emperor cult, um, 
which, by the way, when all of a sudden you come and you're preaching a new king, Jesus, um, that's not just a religious statement. That's subversive to the emperor and to the empire and to thus the emperor cult and all of that. And so who really is king? The emperor uh, and and thus his cult or Jesus. And so that, that shows up actually um, in the story of the founding of the church there in Thessalonica. There was a large Jewish synagogue in Thessalonica. They had a large Jewish population and a large Jewish synagogue. And so this very pluralistic city with cults and religions of various kinds is the type of city that Thessalonica was. So in some, Thessalonica was a very large city with an ethnically mixed population. It was actually experiencing at the, in the first century an economic boom. It was growing uh, and, it, and it created a strong desire actually for some social leveling among the lower classes who felt like they were being a little, uh, they were a little disenfranchised and even disenchanted with some of the the ways uh, local religions were being played out. It seemed like it was more in the hands of the rich and powerful. And so the city had a strong allegiance to Caesar and Rome, maintained by uh, the the local authorities through the emperor cult. Um, Just a a really, really kind of important, powerful city, not a small little town. Now, Paul's first contact with the city of Thessalonica came on his second missionary journey. And you can read the story in Acts chapter 17. It would actually be worth you uh, reading that before you read the letters to uh, the Thessalonians, just so you understand the, the background to the gospel and the church there. Uh, so Paul started the church there on his second missionary journey, and the way the story goes down is uh, Paul and Silas, um, uh, on the second journey, Paul, Silas, and Timothy are in the city of Philippi to the north of Thessalonica, and they were beaten with rods, right? You remember that story in Acts 16, where Paul and Silas are beaten with rods. They're put in prison. They're singing and praising God at night there in, in Philippi. Um, and then there's an earthquake. The jailer says, what must I do to be saved? Right? That whole story, that's that's in Philippi. And that's just north of Thessalonica. That's the city that Paul's in before he comes to Thessalonica. And so they're, they're ushered out of town, basically, in Philippi. And it seems like maybe Timothy uh, remained behind in Philippi. Not 100% clear uh, if Timothy did. Luke did. We know Luke uh, stayed behind. That's one of the sections where Luke was with Paul. And he actually uses the word we when they're in Philippi. And then he ceases to use the word we when they head to Thessalonica. And so Luke stays behind in Philippi. Perhaps Timothy did too. And Paul and Silas then travel from Philippi to Thessalonica. And they arrive in Thessalonica. And Paul began his ministry in the synagogue. And this was customary for Paul, to the Jews first and then to the Greeks. And so he would start in the synagogue. Uh, Not only theologically did that make sense to Paul, since the Jews were the ones that you know, were the original recipients of the promise and the people most prepared to hear about the Messiah. But pragmatically, it, it made sense for Paul. The, the synagogue was a great starting point. I mean, Jesus is the Jewish Messiah after all, right? And so we start there and we tell the story of the promised Abraham, the, pro- the promise of the Messiah and how Jesus fulfilled those promises. And so Paul typically started his preaching in a new city in the synagogue. Um, He hadn't done that in Philippi because there wasn't a synagogue and it didn't go so well for him. 
And so Paul kind of recommits to that strategy here in Thessalonica, and he starts in the synagogue, and it says in Acts 17 that he preached and reasoned and taught them about the Messiah from the Scriptures for three Sabbaths. So for three weeks, Paul is uh, in the synagogue, and he's teaching about Jesus. And some Jews, some Greeks who were God-fearers, they were uh, Greeks who had believed in the Jewish Scriptures and had you know, gone the whole way to become a Jew short of circumcision, and so they're God-fearers. So some Jews, God-fearing Greeks, even some chief women of the city, so women who were married to influential, powerful, ruling families in the city, they converted and believed that Jesus was the Messiah. And after three weeks of, of preaching through the synagogue, the Jews uh, became very jealous and created a disturbance um, over the preaching of the gospel and over Paul's ministry. Um, and they originally wanted to, to bring Paul and Silas before the local citizens' assembly, uh, but they couldn't find Paul and Silas. And so instead, they took hold of a man named Jason, who was Paul's host. That was where Paul was staying in town, uh, Jason's house. So they grabbed Jason and a couple other believers, and they hauled them before the polytarchs, the city rulers, the the most, uh, the, the most influential people in town. They brought them to the city rulers. They made accusations against Paul, specifically for preaching another King Jesus. Catch this. These are Jews who aren't necessarily like uh, emperor worshipers, but it's politically convenient to charge Paul with the accusation of preaching another king. Uh, and stirring up a disturbance and stirring up a riot, both of which are deep concerns in Greco-Roman cities. They want to maintain the peace and the order, the Pax Romana, as well as loyalty to the emperor. So uh, because of that, and because they didn't have Paul, they had Jason, what they decided to do is they made Jason basically pay bond to say he would ensure that Paul would no longer teach or preach in the name of Jesus. Well, obviously, you know, that's not going to work so well. And so Paul decided to, out of uh, con concern and consideration for Jason and his family and the new church, he decided it was best for him to leave town um, and not stir up any more trouble for them. And so Paul left Thessalonica and headed down the road to a new town, the town of Berea, he did so at night. Uh, and in Berea, Paul began again teaching in the synagogues. And Acts tells us that, man, the, the Bereans were more noble than the Thessalonians in the sense that they were curious and they examined the scriptures. They didn't just write Paul off. They examined the Old Testament scriptures to see if what Paul was teaching them about the Messiah was actually true. Um, and they were converting people there in Berea through the synagogue. Well, somehow the Jews in Thessalonica heard that Paul was in Berea and in their jealousy and their antagonism towards Paul, they actually traveled from Thessalonica all the way to Berea. They stirred up trouble for Paul in Berea. And so the Christians in Berea sent Paul away again, this time by way of sea. Um, uh, with a few of the brothers, they traveled all the way down to Athens. Seems again like Silas stayed behind to kind of help ground and found the church there in Berea. Um, and uh, Timothy eventually came, it seems, in, with uh, Silas to help out there in Berea. 
And Paul and the Christian brothers from Berea arrived in Athens, and Paul sent them back with instructions to have Timothy and Silas join Paul in Athens as soon as possible. Um, So Timothy and Silas do. They come down to Paul in Athens. Uh, Paul then sent Timothy back to Thessalonica. You can read about that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. Paul sends Timothy back to Thessalonica, and it seems like he sends Silas back to Philippi just to check on those churches, make sure they're doing all right. Um, and Paul then left Athens and went to Corinth. Ministry in Athens did not go well. It was rather discouraging. So Paul heads to Corinth, and he ends up staying in Corinth for an extended period of time, 18 months for of ministry. Uh, and initially, he worked at tent making for support. And so he would preach in the synagogue on the Sabbath, and then during the week he would work as a, uh, as a tent maker and a leather worker in a local tent making and leather shop. Well, eventually, as Silas and Timothy return from Macedonia, from Thessalonica and Philippi, they return to Paul and rejoined him in Corinth, and they seem to have brought a gift of money, at least from Philippi. Now that seems clear that Paul, Silas brought some money from Philippi, maybe Timothy from Thessalonica as well. And so they brought Paul an offering from those churches, which allowed Paul to quit his tent making work and give his full time attention to ministry. And Timothy came with mixed news from Thessalonica. Uh, some things were really good in the church. The church was hanging in there, but there was still a lot of opposition and harassment and some persecution. And the church was really wrestling with uh, some Christian living issues. They were wrestling with some real questions about uh, the return of Jesus. And so because of some of that negative stuff, uh, Paul decided, okay, I'm going to send them a letter to, to help answer some of their questions and deal with some of the issues. And so it's at this point, that Paul writes 1 Thessalonians to strengthen and encourage the new believers. So 1 Thessalonians is written uh, from the city of Corinth on Paul's second missionary journey, and it's written during uh, the time Paul's in Corinth. So it's probably maybe late 51 or early 52. Paul's stay in Corinth is actually one of the fixed dates in Paul's life and ministry, because Paul was there during the proconsulship of Gallio. Uh, and we know when Gallio was the proconsul of Achaia, the political region that um, Corinth is in, because of an inscription that says he was only the proconsul for one year, uh, from the summer of 51 to the summer of 52. So Paul is in Corinth during that time period. Uh, and that's why we say 1 Thessalonians was probably written late 51 or maybe early 52, and we can be quite certain about that. Okay, so why did Paul write the letter? What news did Timothy bring that led to uh, Paul's desire to write a letter? What what were some of the concerns, in other words, that motivated the writing of the letter? Well, one of the concerns was there was some questions about Paul's integrity and the significance of Paul's absence, not returning to Thessalonica to check on them. Why did he keep sending other people? And why didn't Paul himself come? And what did that say about Paul's integrity, particularly after being there and then leaving? And maybe even some concerns about his uh, use of funds and, and all of that. And so there's some concerns about that. And Paul addresses those concerns, particularly in First Thessalonians chapter 2. And he, he explains 
his integrity and he re- has them recall, no, think through my ministry. Think through how I acted while I was there with you. Think through what I did. So if you're, if people are actually raising questions, particularly unbelievers in town are raising questions, well, how can you trust this guy, Paul? And how do you know he wasn't just out for your money? And da, 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 whatever it is, Paul says, let's think about my ministry and my integrity and even his absence and why he hasn't returned, that he's wanted to, he's longed to be there. Uh, but something prevented him. My guess is what prevented him was just the, the ramifications of the bond that Jason paid, right? More about that when we come to those specific texts. But that's one of the concerns. There's concerns about Paul's integrity and the significance of Paul's absence. Another one of the concerns that motivated the writing of 1 Thessalonians was just some of the continued social harassment and hardships and even persecution that the young, brand new church is facing. And Paul wants to remind them that this is this is normal. This is to be expected. Don't be surprised by this. And so the church is undergoing just continued opposition and, and harassment from the unbelievers and perhaps even from the Jews. And so Paul, uh, Paul wants to establish them and say, this is okay. Hang in there. Persevere in the midst of this. Another concern that Paul addresses is just some key issues of Christian living, especially regarding sexual holiness. We'll talk about the details of that when we get there, but that's really important in their culture, as in ours, probably a problem in virtually every culture. And so some uh, real concerns about sexual holiness, some, some concerns about Christian love and the importance of brotherly love and how that played out in the taking care of the needy and the way they should view that. And so there's some concerns about those sorts of things, and just Christian living in general, living a holy life, that they're brand new believers. They've come out of paganism to follow Jesus as Messiah, and there's a certain need for being re-socialized to a whole new set of values and expectations about how to actually do life the way God intends them to do it. So Paul wants to address some of those issues. And then the last issue that really motivates the writing of 1 Thessalonians is there's some confusion about uh, people dying and Jesus' return. Now, we don't know how long it was from the time Paul was there to the time he wrote the letter, but it's probably only been a couple months, maybe. So it hasn't been that long, but it seems as if maybe there's been a few members uh, of the uh, young church there who have died, and now they've got questions about what does that mean? What does that mean about Jesus' return? And when is Jesus' re- return going to happen? And so the end of chapter four, the first half of chapter five, deals with the dates and seasons, the coming of Jesus, the dying of people, and how do we think about that? And Paul gives them some instruction about Jesus' return and about what that means for people who have died in Christ before Jesus returns. And so it's those issues that really motivate Paul to say, all right, I want to address some of these by letter. And so Paul writes this letter addressing those issues and sends it back, presumably by the hands of Timothy. And the letter of 1 Thessalonians falls pretty neatly into two chunks. The first chunk is chapters 1 through 3. The second chunk is chapters 4 through 5. In chapters 1 through 3, the primary um, topic, the primary thing that Paul is dealing with is his relationship with the Thessalonians. So he talks about his gratitude for them, talks about how he's confident that they are chosen by God. He talks about his ministry and how he cared for them and ministered to them um, wholeheartedly. He talks about his separation from them, his absence, and what that means and how he wants to return. So chapters 1 through 3 primarily is dealing with Paul's relationship with the Thessalonians 
and how they should think about that. And then the second part, chapters 4 through 5, is primarily about Paul's instructions to the Thessalonians on these issues that we have just laid out. Sexual holiness, um, working to provide for your own needs, not mooching off of other people, and how that is connected to loving the brethren. Talks about the second coming and being prepared for the second coming. And then he ends the letter by just dealing with uh, things related to church life and relationships among the Christians and some things related to living, again, the Christian life. And so two big chunks, one through three, Paul's relationship with the Thessalonians, and then chapters four and five, Paul's instructions to the Thessalonians on the things that they are wrestling with. And that, in a nutshell, is what 1 Thessalonians is all about, and that's the backstory to this letter, to how it came about. And so in our next recording, we will jump into the first chunk of the letter and begin to wrestle with the text of 1 Thessalonians.